And surely we worship a holy and righteous God, a God who employs his authority over the whole world, over the whole cosmos itself. We worship a God that is so worthy of worship. Think about it. He sent his only unique, King James says, begotten son. He sent his only unique son to die a criminal's death and then to rise on the third day. We worship a God that I might remind you has absolute and supreme authority. One of my favorite preachers, expositors of all time was Brother Adrian Rogers. Adrian Rogers was quoted of this authority, kingdom authority, saying, kingdom authority is the God-given mandate of Christians to exercise control over the world in the name of Jesus and under His oversight. So, even in the authority that we have been given to make disciples of the nations, even in that authority that God has given us over the world for the sake of the gospel, the authority solely belongs to Jesus. So I have to remember on occasion, I've got to step out of the way and let God do the work. The many problems that we face in the world before us today, and some would say they are uncertain times. At one time, there was certainty in the world. With all the uncertainty around us today, and I would submit to you, all of this uncertainty is all due to the fact that people are ultimately trying to seize the glory and authority that belongs to God alone and then to implant themselves as the master of their own destiny. They begin to question the very fabric of the world we live, the very things that we know to be absolute, all in order to assert Christ's authority and insert their own. But Jesus stated this in the Great Commission Discourse, Matthew 28, verse 18. Jesus said this. He said, all authority, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Then he commissions them to go under his authority. And as I asked the question of bearing fruit last week, and I said, are you bearing fruit for the kingdom? And I hope that you had time to meditate on that through the week. Am I bearing fruit for the kingdom? I will ask a similar question this week. And I will ask you simply, does Jesus have authority over your life? And hopefully you say yes, but let's examine, let's get to the nuts and bolts of the Lordship of Christ today and realize, does Jesus really have authority in my life? Verse 27, the Bible tells us that they came to Jerusalem, Jesus and his disciples. He had already turned over the tables and so forth. 
And he was walking into the temple, and the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders came to him, and they said, What authority are you doing these things? Who gave you the authority to do them? But Jesus said, I will ask you a question. I want you to answer me. And then I will tell you by what authority I would turn over the tables and run out the money changers. Was the baptism from John from heaven or was it from man? You answer me. And they discussed it amongst themselves and they came to find that they could not answer it. Now, last week we encountered this interaction between this religious hierarchy within Jerusalem and, and Jesus. And Jesus not only called out the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes, but he also he called out those that were exploiting the poor by the selling of sacrifices and exchanging the currency to pay the temple tax. So those within the outside court, the Gentile court in the temple, were exploiting people. It was a money-making scheme. And the classic image was this, Jesus turning over the money, changing tables. And during this transaction, during this traveling into the city and out of the city, Jesus and company comes upon a lonely, unfruitful fig tree. And Jesus, being the masterful teacher that he is, he used this fig tree as an illustration of how the, uh, how the religious people are unfruitful. They are, not, they are not being a light to the nations. The question for us was, are we bearing fruit for the kingdom of God? And after this fruit examination... And the teaching from this barren fig tree. Jesus and company once again enters into Jerusalem. And this time, Jesus is going to answer or not a seemingly difficult question offered up by the chief priests. So the question is simply offered from the religious order, who gave you the right? Who gave you the right? So he's in Jerusalem, walking through the temple, and the religious priest and the religious order of the day came up to him, which made up the chief priests, the scribes, the elders. They came again to try to catch Jesus in some inconsistency in order that they might discredit his teaching. At this point, people were flocking to Jesus to hear his doctrine. They were flocking to Jesus to, to hear his words, not only to hear his words, but to get a touch from Jesus. They saw him as master teacher and also miracle worker or healer. And so here they are trying to trap Jesus in some inconsistency so they might discredit him. They were so full of themselves as self-righteous people that that if it was not for the crowd, they would have persecuted Jesus right then and there had the crowd not been around. This religious order, we would call them the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin would consist of or comprised of 70 members and Caiaphas or Annas, one would have been the high priest, would have been the leader or the one in a place of authority. So what you have here is a clash of authoritarian figures. And by the way, Caiaphas or the high priest is no match for the authority of King Jesus. Jesus had already begun to demonstrate his own authority by teaching masterfully. 
Even at the age of 12 years old, he taught beyond, years beyond, eons beyond the scribes. He was healing, performing miracles. But here it is, the sinful nature rearing its ugly head once again. And we get a lesson from this. Because the lesson is the brokenness of humanity. Ask anyone on the street. Is this world broken? Is there something amiss with the world we live in? And you will find almost 100% accuracy. Yes, there is. With humanity, it is the fallen nature. It is sin. And because of its fallen nature, we would often fall under this sinful nature and its influence. In reality, if we would fall under the authority of the Word of God for correction and direction in life, we would find ourselves in a better position, right? But human pride is, is, is such a heavily, heavy stumbling block against spiritual against spiritual help, health that we find ourselves stumbling in our walk with the Lord. C.S. Lewis once said, pride is a spiritual cancer. It eats up the very possibility of love or, com- or contentment or even common sense. Pride will cloud our love, our contentment, and our common sense. And I got to tell you, common sense... In these times that we live in is a high commodity because so few in the world are executing it or exercising it. See, the sin of pride had blinded the religious order of the day and it does the same if left unchecked and left alone today. St. Augustine would say the basis and foundation for any sin is pride. Verse 28 and they ask him this question, why, by what authority are you doing them? Are you doing these things? Now the problem with this question that they ask of the Lord Jesus is this. If they had really been of God as religious leaders of the day, and if they had really truly been perceptive to the whole counsel of God's word, then they would have recognized the significance of Jesus. If If Bartimaeus can find the significance of Jesus, to be sure people in an elevated place of religious affairs could understand the significance of Jesus, the anointed one. Friend, there is so many obstacles in life that can be avoided if we would only heed the word of God. Are you having problems in your marriage? Heed God's word. You having, you having problems with someone in your home, a child or a family member? Heed God's word. You having internal problems with the church? Heed God's word. You having problems in your community? Heed God's word. You have a, you're having a problem uh, engaging your neighbors with the gospel? Heed God's word. There are many obstacles in life can be avoided. If we would simply... Simply heed and fall under the authority of God's Word. Maybe the problem for many is that they don't see the Bible 
as authoritative. Don't see the Bible as inerrant or infallible. See, they would have known that Jesus' authority is from God the Father. But the reason behind this question was to intimidate the Lord Jesus to acknowledge or to confess that he had no authority to teach. According to this religious order, Sanhedrin, according to this religious order, they were the only ones that had authority to teach. They were the only ones who could interpret Scripture rightly. And by the way, there are denominations today that teach that that the leader of that denomination is the only one that can handle God's Word and understand it. See, they did not discredit the actual miracles that Jesus did. They had no problem with that. In fact, by their, their not contesting His miracles, they were actually affirming them. They were actually affirming that Jesus did these things, but the problem with, with them is they, they wanted to know who told you that you could do that here? Who told you that you could come into this temple who we rule over, right? By the way, they have turned the house of prayer into a den of thieves. And Jesus exercises authority. What? What tells you that you could do that here? Who told you you can turn over the money changing tables? Who told you you can run them out? Who told you you can do that here? Preacher! Who gave you the authority to take that away or to add to that? And some might even say, hey, preacher, I'll be here long after you're gone. See how this can be applied today? See how this can be applicable? Now, in reverse... It could be something like this. Only the preacher has the authority to tell someone about Jesus. What does the Bible tell us in the Great Commission? We've read it last week. We read portion of this today. It says, go. As you go, make disciples. It doesn't say that only a select few are able to share the good news with people. So it can work in either way. Jesus said to them, well, I'll ask you a question. You answer me, and then I'll tell you by what authority I do these things. And you must realize, for King Jesus, this is like low-hanging fruit. This would be like a preacher walking into to someone's house, and they looking right at them without just a casual greeting. Hello, how are you doing? And then this person saying, hey, tell me how I, need, how I can become a Christian. Low-hanging fruit. For Jesus, this is low-hanging fruit. And if, 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 it, uh, if it were not for the long-suffering and patience of our Savior, He could have easily spent His ministry going around from Jerusalem to Galilee, to Bethany, to Bethsaida. He could have went around these places swatting down faulty and unhealthy teaching and doctrine. And by the way, he did do that. <laughs> he could have spent all of his time dismantling faulty ideas and faulty and harmful and harsh theology. But this was a common practice 
in rabbinical school. It would be to answer a question using a question. The rabbinical way would be to, to try to get someone to think a little bit deeper. And in order to do that, you answer their question by asking another question in order to take on deeper thought over the matter. In Greek philosophy, a similar method is known as the Socratic method. You would ask a question and then respond with a question. It's not as if Jesus, he's not sidestepping the question at all. He's just simply showing how incoherent it is considering their own disposition towards self-righteousness and hypocrisy. They don't have the right. It is they who don't have the right considering that they are self-righteous sinners that are eat up with hypocrisy. So what I want to do is I want us to be upfront and serious about this lesson of authority. At the beginning, we all would say, yes, Jesus has authority in my life. He is Lord of my life. He has lordship. And most people today struggle with the topic of submitting to someone in authority. The Lord has put people in places in this world to exercise authority. That's as simple, that's as, simple as it gets. The generation we live in today has a problem with people in places of authority. It is certain that authoritarian figures have always existed. Some tyrants and some have been genuine leaders. We live in a world that wants to dismantle authority. We live in a world that wants to dismantle anything that resembles Authority. They want to dismantle our law enforcement agencies. They want to scale down. I'm not just speaking of one political end or the other. They want to scale down the military. And more frightening, they want to water down or dumb down churches. To some degree, we expect it to happen. Sinners act like sinners. So we expect this opposition. Jesus said we will have persecution, didn't he? And to some degree we expect it, but that does not mean that it's right. The culture today does not mind if a church exists. They don't mind if a church exists as long as they act like a country club and never engage the rest of society with biblical truth. You can have your club as long as you don't encroach upon my little area of life, right? And the Bible tells us that the gospel is offensive because it calls out sin. The world is satisfied with, with the church building a clubhouse instead of being a genuine house of worship that sends out worshipers into the world to proclaim the good news of Christ. They don't mind a church existing as long as it does not elevate truth. So, where does Christ's authority come from? The reason that we ask this early in the narrative is because Jesus never tells this religious order of his own authority. Jesus, to the scribes, is a person without authority. And for them, power is entirely invested in the priestly institution. It only belongs to the priests. No other organization is higher. I had a person tell me 
It wasn't, uh, it, this wasn't a Catholic church. It was another denomination who I will not say. I had a person tell me that if you do not belong to this church, then you are going to hell. To me, that sounds very pharisaical, doesn't it? And I responded, I said, well, my hope is in Jesus and my salvation. So to the scribes, Jesus had no authority. And it was only in their organization that authority would exist. Let us never put traditions, let us never put hierarchy in the church above biblical truth. See, I mistrust a soldier. I'm glad, to, you know, today, uh, you know, this weekend, Memorial Day weekend, we'll remember those who have fallen. So it made me think of this. If I ever saw a soldier turn his nose up to the flag, I would distrust that soldier. I would not trust that soldier on the battlefield. The same can be said for a Christ follower who negates the word of God. If there is a Christ follower, a Christian, who does not hold to the inerrancy and infallibility of God's word, does not believe in the authority of Scripture, I would not trust that person to handle this at all. So I would distrust a Christian who negates the word and negates worship. I mean, how can you rightfully worship if you don't believe the Bible? So I firmly believe that we must love and we must defend the church to which we belong and serve her well, but we must recognize also as to not cross the line, as to be a Pharisee, that God makes everything in this created order beautiful for His glory. And so there are things on the outside of this church that if we're not, not careful, we'll end up like the Pharisees. We must choose between the pharisaical spirit that, that said to Christ, by what authority are you doing these things, or who gave you this authority, to have a spirit of worship. So let us not fall into this trap of the Pharisees or become a Pharisee ourselves. And so does Jesus have authority? Yes, he does. Does he want us to have compassion mingled with truth? Yes, he does. So with authority that God has given to the church and through Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit, I say we also must be compassionate. Just a quick note, if you want to see what a person really thinks of the authority in church government or church polity, just talk about church discipline for a little bit. You want to see how invested people are in church government or how far they trust their leaders? Just talk about church discipline. And the conversation would quickly go either from those on the outside or for those who are up for church discipline would say, who gave you the right to call me out? Who gave you the authority to say that I am in sin? Listen, brother, I know I am a sinner too. Friend, it is not by my right, it is not by my authority that I bring someone under subjection to church discipline. It is not my authority, but it is the sheer power, scope, and majesty of the Word of God. 
And as Christ followers, the only true right that we ever have now can be summed up in John 1 and verse 12 that says, But to all who believe, and all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave them right to become children of God. So today's reference becomes a question of, does Jesus have authority in your life? Better yet, or simply put, do you follow his commands? And we'll talk about that in a moment. Now here are the Pharisees. They are stuck between a rock and a hard place. And in verse 30, the Bible says, As Jesus asked this question, Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. And they discussed it with one another. And if we say from heaven, he will say, Well, then why didn't you believe him? But if they said from man, they were afraid of the crowds because they really believed that John was a prophet sent from God. We do not know, they answered Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. The religious leaders, they tried to track Jesus into, they tried to catch him in a snare, a a dilemma, where any answer that he would give would, would put him in harm or discredit his reputation as a good teacher rabbi. We can answer it, can't we? Well, it's John the baptizer's ministry from God. Was he sent from God? Yes, he was. We could say, yes, he was. John the baptizer was, in fact, as we've already spoke about in chapter 1, he was the voice of the one crying in the wilderness, make right the way of the Lord, make straight the crooked path. Isaiah 40, verse 3 through 5, John was this voice crying in the wilderness, preparing the way for Christ. Preparing the way for the anointed one, the spotless Lamb of God. And they knew that they were trapped. But if they say from heaven, then Jesus will press them. Well, why didn't you follow him? If they say from man, the people will revolt against them. And they certainly believed that the people in the crowds would revolt. Everything to these religious leaders was a philosophical or ethical dilemma to them. And sometimes it didn't take much thinking to know the answer. You've got to know. Maybe deep down they knew this man was from God. But to adhere, to say that he was from God meant that they would have to abandon all traditions that they held on to. Think about that for a moment. Things within even the local body that we know that God has sent, that to follow through is a godsend for any local church. And if we are like the Pharisees on this, we would hold on to it so hard. Those things of the past. Hold on to it so hard, knowing that this thing is from God, and yet we don't want to break tradition. They wanted so bad to break Christ's power of persuasion over the people that they themselves were blinded to the obvious response. Come on, man. They they had to know the answer. They had to know. So they say we don't know. And the irony of this is, it's evident. Their inability to answer the question that Jesus offers actually discredits themselves as authoritarian figures instead of Jesus being discredited. 
So they set out to discredit Jesus. And by the way, there are people in all walks of life and in your life who try to discredit the power and scope of the gospel. And so instead of Jesus being discredited, they themselves were discredited. Uh, you you got to understand for a rabbi to say, I don't know. It's a big deal. How does this episode speak to us today? Most of us hopefully all affirm the lordship of Jesus. And in fact, I ask you that at the beginning. Is he lord of your life? And if we do, then we follow and we serve him accordingly. So thinking about dilemmas, <laughs> thinking about predicaments and how to respond, I want to just, just, uh, I just want to kind of maybe construct a few predicaments to think about uh, in, in ministry or ministries or missions or what have you. I want us to think a few, through a few predicaments, if you will. Let, let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. Is the Great Commission or sharing the gospel, is it only left for the preachers or the pastors? Yeah, we would say no, wouldn't we? I'm not trying to trick you. So if we answer and say no, then why do we expect someone else to do what God has called us to do? And just, you might say, yes, it is. That's their job. That's what they do. And if we were to say yes, then where is the resources and lists of people that need to be evangelized? Where are those people that, if you say yes, then where are those people that you've been praying for, that you've been pouring over, and where you say, preacher, these are people you need to go and share the gospel with? Some can go for missions and say, is, we could say this, is missions left only for a few or for all Christ followers? Is missions for a few or all Christ followers? And we would, we would say, well, yes, yeah, for all. It's for all Christ followers. Then what are we doing to promote the gospel message? I have been saying this before in previous sermons and teaching, I said this before regarding missions. We are either, we are either giving, we are either, we are either going, or we are equipping those to go. Giving, going, or equipping. Which, which are you? Which, which, which do you belong in today? So does Jesus have authority in your life to give, to go, or to equip? Yes. Can we agree that God wants or desires worship? Does God want your worship and adoration? We would say yes. And then if we say yes, if so, then why does so many push off worship and fellowship to the back as if it is a bother? What do you mean, preacher? What do you mean? Worship, coming to worship together and a time of worship. What do you mean that it's a bother? You know what was harsher than getting up on a Sunday morning for worship? You know what's harsher than that? Getting nails hammered in your hands and feet. Harder than getting up on a Sunday morning. You know what is more harmful than making sure that you get out on time for lunch? 
hanging on an old splintered cross without any food or suffering and dying from the pressure of suffocation. Does Jesus have authority? If we say yes, then keep his commandments. Pursue to adhere to the commands of Scripture. Well, there's got to be a why. Why do we submit to the authority of Jesus? Why do we keep his commands? And there is a why. There is a purpose. Because you have been saved. And you have been born again. And if you have been saved, born again, made regenerate, now we want to serve Christ who served us first and loved us first who died on the cross of Calvary, and who rose again. So, you're going to want to serve the Jesus that died for you. So you might grow in leaps and bounds in your faith, and then make other disciples. Now, these religious men, they questioned Jesus on his authority. But it's amazing how many of us, every single day, every single day, we question it by our lack of obedience To do what he guides us to do. Now I know because I'm not perfect and I'm far from it and I struggle with this as well as you. I need a nudge from the Holy Spirit every day. I need a nudge from the Spirit of God every single day of my life that says, My child, don't you retaliate. My child, don't you lash out. Stay calm. I need that. So yes, as I said at the beginning, we worship a holy and righteous God who exerts his authority over all the world that we see. We worship a God so worthy of worship that he sent his only begotten son, unique son, to die on the cross and to rise again on the third day. He died a criminal's criminal's death on the cross and rose again. We worship a God who has supreme and ultimate authority. And so I ask you in closing, does Jesus have authority over your life? Let's pray together.